of God's heart and word towards us to what does it mean? What does it mean to be ready? We, we so often quote and understand that the Lord says that we must be ready, but, but what does it mean? To be ready for what? And, and, and why is it so important? Of course, we started off in Revelations 19 that, that speaks about Jesus' return for his bride and that the bride has made herself ready. And, and, and the greatest aspect of being ready is to be ready for the Lord's return. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for us. And, and it will be a glorious day when Jesus comes back. And, and, and there will be a great uh, a festive um, feast when, when, when the bride and, and Christ is united and, and we can be together. And not only um, is there going to be a great feast, but we will be together with all our loved ones who are in Christ. That, that great hope that death is not the end and that we will see each other again. We will be together. And most importantly, we will be together with God. We will be with Him for eternity. In, in, in heaven, in a place where there is no tear, there is no sorrow, there is no sickness, but in perfect environment in, in a perfect place called heaven and the new earth and the, and the new heavens and we will rule and reign with him for eternity eternal life with God our, our, our great hope um, and the gospel of course is good news in that we can have this assurance of eternal life with God not through our own works but by grace. God's work towards us is grace towards us through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. And our faith in that gives us assurance of these great promises. You know, it's interesting to see how man tries to live forever in this broken and sinful world. How, how we try to keep alive as long as possible and and you see it in these movies you often see this whole concept of the villain stealing some secret that will give him eternal life in a broken fallen world and and we've been given this great promise that we can have eternal life not in this world but in a new heaven and a new earth where, where all evil is taken away and all brokenness is done away with but first this world that we live in, as it is, will have to be destroyed. Everything in this world will be burned away. All the houses and the cars and all those things that man lived for. It will be destroyed. And it will be replaced by something far greater. That is our great hope. And this new earth and heaven is going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. The Bible is full of prophecy of what is still going to happen before Jesus returns. And with it some challenging things. The coming of the Antichrist, the beast making war against the church. And if one reads Revelations, it does not always make comfortable reading. And, and, and so, how do we prepare for that? It's one thing to be ready for Jesus' return, but if you read what Jesus has to say, what will happen before he returns, we need to be ready. And, and so many of Jesus' parables is about...
being ready. And, and we see the reason for this warning. Of course, how do we prepare for his return and for that what we still need to face before he comes? First and foremost, of course, we need to be saved. We need to accept Jesus as king, as our savior. And, 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 and be part of the bride for which he is coming back. But apart from that, what do we need to be ready for? Why this instruction to be ready? This is a very difficult sermon for me. How to start this journey to practically asking the question and seeking for the answer. What does it mean to be ready? Because if you read the parables in Jesus' teaching, you find that there are so many that will not be ready on that day. And my prayer is that I, myself, my family, and us as a church will all be ready. We are quick to say that we're living in the end times and that we must be ready for his return. But... Whenever Jesus spoke about his return, he gave us a warning. I almost said as if he was warning us. No, he was very clearly warning us. He was warning us of great suffering before his return and that many will not endure. The Western world is, of course, not very comfortable with this prospect of suffering. We prefer prosperity. It, it's, it's a far greater expectation <laughs> that if we follow Jesus, we will prosper always. But if we read the scripture honestly, that's not quite what Jesus said. You know, sometimes God's way are completely different to us and, and, and some of that what he knows is going to happen, his foreknowledge is, is quite challenging to us. You know, it's, it's almost like when, when God called Abram and, uh, to himself and gave him the promise that he will have a son and, and, and he will have a legacy. He will make a great nation of him. Uh, so great that not even the stars um, in the skies will outnumber his descendants. And as, as God was speaking to Abram about this great promise, he also told him that his children, his descendants, will be slaves for 400 years, and then he will send a savior. Almost preparing Abram's descendants for what was going to come. And of course we know it happened. But then he also sent Moses to save them. To lead them to God. The Western world is not very comfortable with many things that Jesus taught about the end. But with that challenging teaching and warning of Christ comes this awesome promise. That as you endure these things, I will be with you. And through my spirit, my grace will enable you to overcome whatever you have to endure. Just 
keep your eyes on me. Do not get offended. Do not be deceived. And do not let your love grow cold. Just follow me. And I will be with you. And you will make it. Craig, um, last Sunday in, in Claymont, um, his message was on the, the ten virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins, those who were ready and those who were not. And, and it was a very challenging message. And in that he, he used an analogy, he made a confession, and it's such a powerful story that I want to use as well. You, you know, uh, Craig is a manual reader. Is there anybody that reads manuals of gadgets? That you buy. Is there anybody here? Yeah, I'm not one like that either. I don't. I don't know why they waste paper. But but he 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 is a compulsive manual reader. So so he he bought himself a a porta pool. Um, and the first thing that he did, unlike myself, is he went to look for the manual. And then he read all the instructions in this manual about the porta pool. And in those instructions, he found a warning. A warning. Um, that you should not swim while you have the pump running because you can be electrocuted. Well, that's kind of an important piece of information, you know. Don't swim in the portable while the pump is running. If you have one, if you didn't know that, don't swim while the pump is running because you might be electrocuted. Now, why did the, 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 the manufacturer put that warning in the manual was it to spoil our fun or was it to ensure that we have fun while we're swimming because who of you know that if you get electrocuted while you're swimming it's it's no longer fun you know so, so the whole purpose of the warning was not to rob fun or create fear but to ensure that we actually have fun in the pool and so too when God speaks to us it's not to take away our joy or our peace, but to actually ensure that we have joy and peace that endures to the end. And so we need to understand also God's heart in, in saying some of these challenging things as he warns us how to prepare, how to be ready for his coming. Now before I go on into what Jesus is warning us to, it is not to take away our joy or peace, but to encourage us so that we will enjoy this promise that he has for us. It's a race that is set before us, and, and like any race, if I were to tell you, we are going to run a race tomorrow, who's in? Anybody? We're all going to run a race. I actually... <laughs> I, I, I enrolled all of you. We're going to do a race tomorrow. <laughs> now, that would not be a good analogy. No, we're going to do a race in three months' time. Is that better? Yes. Because you want to know what kind of race this is. Is this a 2.5-kilometer race? Or is it an 80-kilometer race? Which one is it? Who of you would be excited about the 80Ks? Yeah, some of you. <laughs> yeah, because there's a big difference between the 2.5 kilometer race and an 80 kilometer race. 
There's a big difference in how you prepare yourself for that day so that when you stand on that line, you are ready. The one is a sprint. You, you actually don't need to prepare much. You can just pitch as you are and, and just run it. The, the other one, however, you, you need to prepare yourself. Not just physically, but mentally, because a marathon is unlike a sprint. Any endurance athletes here? Any? Yeah, there's some hands going up. You don't need to be shy. It's... It, there's a big difference between a 100-meter sprint and a 3,000-meter race. I mean, if my children say they're doing athletics, the first thing we listen to is, what events are you doing? Because if you're going to do the 3,000, you can't do the 3,000 and the 1,500 and the 800 just after each other. It's foolishness. But you can do the 100-meter sprint and then 20 minutes later do the 1,800 or the 1,500. It's possible because... The one does not tap you as much as the other. It's a different mindset, of course, to run a 1.5-kilometer race and a 20-kilometer race. The one is, is the sprint, the 100-meter sprint. Let's rather use that analogy. A 100-meter sprint has a different kind of mindset and, 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 and thrust to it than a 20-kilometer marathon. It's completely different. They both require intense work, but the one involves more suffering than the other. It's just, I mean, for those of you who do endurance racing, you'll know what I'm talking about. A part of the preparation is not just getting fit, but mentally preparing yourself for suffering because you're going to suffer. That's the joy of endurance sport. In case you didn't know, the joy is to endure the suffering so that you can get to the end because there's no glory, there's no greater glory than finishing the race. And, and so too, the Lord is, is preparing us, is warning us so that we know what we need to prepare ourselves for, that we don't get offended or are found unprepared for what we are to face. You know, I once entered a, a, a stage race. Um, it was called the, the Iron Bike Italy. I don't know if you've heard of it before. You, you probably wouldn't have, for good reason. Um, it's quite an, uh, a unique kind of race. I've already, by that time, I've done the Cape Epic. I've done the Trans Alps. So I'm used to stage racing. I'm used to this endurance seven-day race. I've got, I've got the training, I've got the mindset, and I'm ready for another challenge. And, and, and so I'm looking at the promotional material, and I'm showing my wife, this is my new stage race that I'm going to train for. And, and she told me, listen, did you note that unlike all the other races you've done, where, where all the promotional material was of people cycling, this particular race, they're all carrying their bicycles. Did you notice? I said, yeah, but I mean, there's other races. I mean, it's just for wussies, man. This, don't, don't worry. This is okay. No, but seriously. All the materials about people carrying their bicycles. I said, yeah, but I mean, they're just wussies, man. We're going to cycle this thing. Like all the other races. And, and, and even one of my friends was a Brazilian. He actually did the race before me. He said to me, his name was Marcus. He said, Andres, and he's broken English. You know this race. 
you're going to carry your bike like Jesus Christ on your shoulders. <laughs> I said, no, man. <laughs> I'm going to race it. And, 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 and lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, unlike the other races I've did before, the, 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 tr the, the, the course is not mountain bike routes. It's actually hiking routes. And they took us to all the peaks of the Alps in the Italian Alps. So you could, you could ride about three quarters of the mountain and then the last, but you had to climb the mountain with your bicycle. And I didn't know that. So, so I, I had these amazing carbon fiber sole mountain bike shoes, which is amazing for the Epic because all the power that your body produces goes directly from your foot into the pedal. There's no flex in that shoe. So it is amazing to cycle with. But not to climb a mountain. <laughs> it was like going up the mountain in high heels. It was torture for seven days. Because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't listen to my wife. Yeah. I, I still struggle with that les lesson from time to time. But the point I'm trying to make is two things. Number one. You need to know what the kind of race is you're going to run so that you can prepare yourself physically and mentally for what you have to do. Because that will enable you to finish the race. Because if you think this is going to be a 100-meter sprint and it ends up being a 40K run, you might give up halfway because this is not what you, you're ready for. You, you, you're used to just running 100-meter sprints. And so to the Lord is warning us so that we are ready, so that we will make it to the end. He's not warning us to, to be afraid or to miss out. He's actually warning us so that we are prepared to endure to the end. And, and later on we're going to read all the parables that Jesus speaks in the same conversation. Trying to, un to, to give us an insight into what does it mean to be ready. And, and, and so I, I want to I start off with this in Matthew 24. As we prepare ourselves physically and mentally for a marathon and not a sprint. Because Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And on the, lie, on the way, you will probably suffer. But the great joy of marathon racing is to overcome that suffering and, and receive the reward of finishing the race. It's, it's not about how you start this race. The only thing that matters is how you end it, is if you do. And, 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 and so the Lord is preparing us for something. And I want us to, to listen to this. Matthew 24 starts off with Jesus um, and his disciples walking through the temple. And um, as they go through the temple, the disciples is showing him all the different buildings of the temple. And, and the temple... You must understand it's the, the symbol of, of Jewish worship to God. It is the heart of their religion. 
And here the disciples with great excitement is, is speaking to the Son of God about the temple and its majesty and, 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 and its, its symbolism. And then Jesus turns around and says something to them. Verse 2, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. That shall not be thrown down. What a shock it must have been to the disciples. I mean, here they're showing the temple to Jesus, and Jesus says, Not a single stone will remain. This temple will be destroyed. And so, no wonder we see the very next verse the disciples come to him in private. Verse 3 Now, when he had sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, now, privately coming to Jesus, wanting to know, what, what, what did you mean this is going to be destroyed? And, and, and when will this happen? They, they actually asked Jesus three questions. They actually asked Jesus, when will the, the temple be destroyed? What will be the signs that the end is near and 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 when will the end be? Three questions. When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the signs? And, and when are you returning? And Jesus answered all three of these questions. But before he, he, he started to answer these questions, he first gave a warning. And, I, and, and before we, we listen to Jesus' response, what is interesting about these three questions is one of them already took place. The temple was destroyed, just like Jesus said it would. In August 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple. Utterly. And not a single stone remained. The second, the signs are still continuing to this very day. Every generation, there is enough signs to prove to us that Jesus' coming can be any moment. And then thirdly, the third one is still to come. One has been completed, one is ongoing, and one is still to come. And so Jesus answered these questions, but he starts off with a great warning. And it's important for us to listen. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. And I think what is so challenging is that Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. There is no crowd. This is the disciples coming to him privately, asking him, Lord, when will all these things be? What will be the sign? And, and when are you returning? And Jesus' first response to them is, take heed that no one deceives you. And the reason why Jesus is saying that is because many will be deceived before his return. Not to take away our joy or our peace, but to help us to prepare and to be ready for what we're going to face. Verse 5, Jesus says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Remember how sin entered into the world? With Adam and Eve, it came through deception and disobedience. And so Jesus starts off by answering this question by warning us not to be deceived. Deception will remain a reality until 
Jesus returns. And therefore, we need to be alert, not to be deceived. Jesus continues this chapter speaking about false Christs and false prophets that will deceive many. And so one of the things that we need to understand in preparing ourselves is that we must be on guard against deception. My heart is that none of us here will be deceived, but we will all be ready at his return. Because Jesus says many will not. And then Jesus gives another warning, and, and here I, I want us to carefully consider and, and prayfully to really chew before we swallow. This, this, is a, this, is, this is a hard word. This is challenging. This is not milk. This is meat that needs to be chewed. Don't just swallow it, but, but go home, search the scripture, prayfully ask the Lord to show you. Because Jesus is not just warning against deception. He continues in verse 6, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endears to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus warns us that it will be difficult in the last days before his coming. It's not going to be a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. But those who endure to the end. They will be saved. Many will be offended. Many will be deceived. And many's love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Why will many be offended? I believe because they were not ready for a marathon. They were ready for a sprint. They were ready that they will prosper all the days of following Jesus and everything will go according to plan. And then all of a sudden they faced all these things that Jesus speaks about that will happen before his return and they will be offended. And some will be deceived because they will find themselves teachers that will tell them the things that they want to hear. And others' love will grow cold because of the world that have grown so lawless. They've been drawn back into it. And then Jesus continues to break down to the Jews of that generation that will see the destruction of the temple. What it, will be look, what it would be like for them. The first question, when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus goes into detail how it would be. And then he continues to speak to how it would be for us before his return. It's not always a comfortable reading, but 
Revelations was written by the Apostle John after the destruction of the temple. Everything written there is still to come. As a, as a warning, not, not to take away our joy or our peace, but to prepare us in our minds and our hearts that we will be ready to overcome. This race will be difficult at the end, like a marathon. And that's why the warning is so important. The warning is there not because God wants to spoil it for us, but because some will not make it. And my prayer is that we will all make it. That we will be ready. Whatever we need to face, you see, Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. In 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, let us arm ourselves with the same mind. Let us prepare ourselves to un with an understanding that this is going to be a marathon. And on the, lay on the way, we might have to suffer. But the glory that is waiting for us is far greater than anything that we're going to lose in this life. And therefore we keep our eyes on the prize in the finish line. Not about how we start but how we end. Because we know that the glory that we'll receive at the end is far greater than anything that we can gain in this life. And that's why God starts off with explaining to us this great hope of salvation and eternal life with him. Part of being ready is to have the right mindset, like entering a marathon. In 1 Peter, it continues in chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you might also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him give glory to God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what shall be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I guess this run, this race that we run is like growing old. My father often told me before he finished his line, Outward is not for It gets difficult in the end. You know when you get there. But don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep going. Our race with the Lord might get difficult. If by God's grace, we are not living in the end times. And that what we face in this country, in this time, is light affliction 
compared to what is waiting for those who will live in that time. The Antichrist has not appeared yet. The beast has not yet made war with the church. Let us not get discouraged by the light affliction that we face now. But let us embrace it as training, preparing ourselves for what might come. And if it's not us who will see the Lord's return, it might be our children. And if we are preparing ourselves for it, let us also do our children. Because it's not going to be a sprint to the end. It's going to be a marathon. But you know what? The glory of finishing the race is far greater than anything that you can lose in this life. So keep going. The disciples of Jesus was best prepared for suffering. And they all died a violent death. Even John who the apostle who wrote Revelations had his share of persecution. And none of them lost their faith. None of them were offended, deceived, or love grow cold. Because they knew. Even the apostle Paul, when Jesus called him, showed him how much he will suffer for his faith. And therefore, when the prophecy came, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested. He was not afraid. He was ready for it. And so to part of being ready is a mindset that embraces suffering for Jesus. And we are privileged in this country that we are not facing it, but if you live in Afghanistan, you are. And I can tell you what those Christians in Afghanistan does. They are not offended. And they are not deceived. And they follow Jesus to the very end. And the church is growing. It's one of the amazing things about Christianity. The more you persecute them, the more they grow. Because we've been prepared. How does this apply to us here today? I'll end over this. Six things. First of all, how does Jesus teaching about the end times and that what we might face if we are the last generation. One, one of the first things that we, that we, what we, we learn 2,000 years later is first and foremost, it's not the end yet. Because we are not facing it yet. So thank God for the grace. If we do not become the generation who faces it. But whether we are or not, we should be ready for it. And we should be preparing the next generation. In case they do. Secondly, things might get difficult and hard at times for us as Christians. Do not be surprised. Or think of it as a strange thing when it happens. That's what Peter says. Do not be surprised or think of it as a strange thing when all these trials come upon you. It is the testing of your faith that purifies it. Even Jesus warned us in Matthew 24 verse 25. See, I have told you beforehand. Do not find it strange. The third thing that we learn from it is that we must have a different mindset 
when we face difficulty? How do we prepare? It's, it's first of all with a different mindset how we relate to it. And James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face or when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness that you will not be offended, deceived, or grow cold. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. We need to get it right now while we still have light of fiction. When we face the things in life, that when we face that storm, somebody spoke about building on, building on the rock. When you build on the rock or whether you build on the sand, you're going to face storms and winds and while we are still have light affliction, let's embrace it with great joy, knowing that it produces in us steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full work in us, that we become perfect and complete, not lacking anything. So that when we do run that race, we will be ready for it. So how do we deal with the things in our own lives that, that causes stress and, and, and things that are against us? How, how do we guard our hearts? And how do we overcome these things? It is important. In the midst of all those storms and troubles, the Word of God encourages us to look to Jesus as our example. When we face trials and tribulations, hardships, how to deal with it is to look at Jesus. As Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnared us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God, the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That brings me to the fifth point. For the joy set before him. How, how do we prepare ourselves? Is to look to Jesus and follow his example by putting the joy and the promise of eternal life before us. That we put that before us and not the suffering that we're going through, not the loss that we're going through, but the joy that is waiting for us. And so when we go through these difficult times because we are Christians, let us put that hope before us as the most precious treasure. Because when, when God's promise of eternal life with Him becomes the most important and the most valuable treasure in our life, we will not cling so fast and so dearly to earthly things that's going to burn anyway. So put your hope in Him. As Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this 
you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you receive with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How powerful it sets before us, the joy of our salvation, our inheritance, our hope, and the exceeding greatness of his power that is at work in us. The Holy Spirit that gives us the grace to overcome that would be need to face. And then lastly, point number six, is suck it up and follow Jesus. Whatever this world may throw at you, because you're a Christian, suck it up and follow Jesus. Because great will be your reward for those who endure and overcome. That's Revelation 21. It says, for he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask if you are here and you have your little cup, is there anybody? We're going to have communion together. Before we do, I just want to take this moment and, and give you an opportunity just to reflect on our own heart on the great promises that God has given us and preparing ourselves for this race that God has set before us. That we will be ready with the mindset not to be offended when we suffer, not to be deceived or for our love to grow cold, but that we will keep Christ and his promise before us always and follow his example. And so that we will all make it on that day. As we continue on this journey, what it practically means to be ready. And if you're here and you do not have a cup, can you just quickly raise your hand? I just will come there at the back. I'll also have one. Thank you. Just keep your hand raised. We're going to have communion together. And I want us to take this moment and just in your own words as we wait for one another. Just reflect on Jesus' words. Just reflect on this message and what you believe the Holy Spirit has been revealing to you this morning and just respond to the Lord in your own heart just in your own words as we're waiting for one another just speak to the Lord let's do that Father, we thank you for your love for us. 
that you were willing to suffer so that we may have life. Lord, thank you for embracing your suffering. And when we take this, this bread, Lord, we, we do not forget the cost. Lord, I pray that as we eat of it, Lord, you will grant us the grace to embrace our cross that we need to face for following you. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you even in our weakness, your, your power is made perfect. And so, Lord, as we, as we remember the cost that you paid, help us, Lord, to be willing to do the same. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. While all the eyes are closed before we drink this cup. And if you are here this morning and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never come to the point where you embraced his suffering, his sacrifice that he made to save your life, so that you may too have this great hope that becomes more precious than anything in this life that gives you assurance of salvation, eternal life with God forever. Because you, you humbled yourself to receive this expression of grace, His Son on the cross, to save your life. If that is you this morning, I want to give you an, an opportunity to respond to God and say, Yes, God, I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior and also have this hope in my heart that I will not be afraid, but with great longing and expectation wait for your return. If that is you this morning and you want to respond to the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to accept you as my Savior. I want to have this hope in my heart that burns for your return. If that is you this morning, I just want you to respond. Just, just raise your hand if that is you. Thank you for that hand. Is there anybody else? You can drop it again. Is there anyone else? Father, I want to thank you for this heart that is responding to you. Because that's why you came. is to give us life and give us something more precious than this world can do. And that's eternity with you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as she responds to you, Lord, that you will fill her even right now. With your spirit, Lord, that you will grant her the assurance of your love. And not just the forgiveness of sins, but being embraced as a child of you that she too will be able to come to you without fear. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we drink this cup, Lord, that we too will be ready. That we'll be ready to the end. Grant us, Lord, not to be offended, nor deceived, nor grow cold, but help us to run until the day we see you face to face. We thank you for this cup that represents your blood that was shed for us so that we may have this assurance of eternal life in you. Let's drink together.